It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Grog in Prague. My name is Michelle, and I'm waiting for my co-host to join me on the call, and we also have a special guest on our podcast today. It's Mike Panera, and um, I am going to go ahead and uh, start bringing my co-host on, and then we'll bring Mike. So here is Rob. <clears throat> Hello. Hello, Rob. Hi. Um yeah. This is Michelle. We're just waiting right. for Steve, and <clears throat> Mike is on hold. So um, if we can just wait for just a minute, we'll have Steve with us, and uh, we'll start the interview. Yeah, he's asking for the uh, Skype button to come on. Uh-huh. It's there, so if he can't find it, he'll need to call in. Send him, send him, the, uh, send him the link again. I I I'm not with it at all. I, I, somehow I put... Like, Rob, somehow I've got Rob, that, we're being... Got the sign wrong. It's okay. We're what? being recorded now, so... We're being recorded yeah. now, so... Okay, Steve's going to call in now. So he'll be in in just a few seconds, and then we can start the interview. I'm going to go ahead and bring Mike in while we're waiting for Steve. Hello, is this Mike? Yes, it is. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Rob. Hi. Uh, Great to meet you. Same, same here. Hey, Rob, I like what you just said about unmuted. That sounds like a good album cover, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Mike Panera, yeah, unmuted. <laughs> yeah, good one. That's a good one. Excellent. Well, thanks. Thanks for calling in. Sorry about the mix-up yesterday. But we did talk a bit about uh, Ride Captain Ride, and we played the song, and uh, we were talking about it. But we're so glad that you were able to reschedule for today. And uh, Steve was just uh, calling in now. And uh, once he gets here, we'll get things rolling. But um, I just want to say that uh, that song, I know there's a lot more to you than just that song, but that song really had an impact on uh, the show Lost that it played in, and I've actually heard it being played um, when I've been in restaurants. Uh, there's a Bubba Gump chain of restaurants, and they actually played that song in there amongst their other songs that they have for the period type of music, and that's one of the songs they play. Great, great. Well, I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, it was most recently played on uh, a new TV series called Vinyl, Produced by Mick Jagger yes. and Martin Scorsese. Yes, yeah, I heard that. That's number. great. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really great that uh, I play it live in concert, and it's great to see the younger audience singing right along with all the words. Yes, it's a great song. It's definitely got a great message and a good beat to it, and it's just a really fun song and. It, it definitely everything that was played in Lost had a significance to it, and so people were always going over the words. Yeah, we were, we were saying last night about the impact. We were saying last night about the impact that it had, even though it was on for only a couple of seconds. I, I watched the episode yesterday, rewatched it after years, and and 
and it's only actually on that scene for, for say, about 30 seconds. But it's amazing the mm-hmm. impact that it had to this day. Do you guys get a, a television show there called Scorpion? Yes, I have seen that show. Oh, okay. It, it was on there, too, recently. And, uh, oh, okay. And they left it on for, like, three minutes. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit behind on that show. I watched it for the first few episodes, and there's just so much great TV to watch. It's just hard to watch them all. That's true. Yeah. But that's but that's really great. I'm glad that um, that your music is getting a lot of um, current play, and I know Steve was mentioning to us yesterday that uh, you also have some new music that's going to be um, possibly in the future. Oh, yes. It's being released uh, next month, and uh, it's a new album called Next Voyage. And uh, Great. Steve uh, and <clears throat> Steve and Rob are some of the first persons who have heard it. I haven't released it yet to the public, but I, I did send them the the album, and so uh, they're among the, the first. That's fantastic. That's really great. Well, we're looking forward to that. I'm sorry we're still waiting for Steve. Let me see if he sent us another message here. I know he says he's going to dial in, so... Hopefully he'll be here any moment. Let's just let him know that we're waiting. And in any case, unfortunately, no Crystal. She's a big Crystal's a big Lost fan, and uh, she was the other female host. And unfortunately, she couldn't make it tonight. So uh, she Steve was out a lot of him in. But yeah, Bob, Steve is here. Yeah. Hi, Steve. Yeah. I'm on now. Hi, yeah. Okay, Steve. Steve, this is Mike, and you know yeah, Rob I've, I've and Michelle. I've a problem with Skype, but I've uh, dialed in with the phone, so. Great. So here we go. Oh, we Steve talk a little Ramani. bit about. <laughs> what was that, Rob? I thought Steve was he remind me. Um, and uh, we were just talking, Steve, about the Ride Captain Ride and how we played the song yesterday and talked a bit about it. And Mike was telling Indeed us we did, how, yeah. Not, yeah, how not only was it recently played on the TV show Vinyl, but it was also played about three minutes of it on another TV show we have over here called Scorpion. And then Mike really? was also mm-hmm. telling us, yeah, and Mike was also telling us that you and Rob are two of the first people to hear Mike's new music. So I'm going to go ahead and turn the reins over to Rob. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hello, Mike. Hello, Steve. I feel like I've known you all my life. Yeah, seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the so the um, the new stuff sounds really good. Um, you see, when is the album due out? Next month. Right. Hopefully. And that's called. Yeah. And it's called. Well, what's Next the name Voyage. of it again? Well, it's right. The album Voyage, called yeah. Next Voyage. Uh huh. By Mike Panera. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the feeling I get listening to it, it's it's got that sort of um, retro feel, that sort of late sixties, early seventies sort of thing, kind of the out of the Iron Butterfly vibe, really, with that yeah that 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 nice fat fuzzed up guitar sound, which I I still love. But oh, well, I, I think it's just like it's just nicely updated for the. Um, for the present day, really, keeping the spirit of that sound. That's what I love about it. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, um, obviously, we've um, we've been. Uh, uh, Michelle was talking about the uh, the ride, Captain Ride song, which is really the one thing of yours that's that's most known. Ironically, even though Blues Image are less known overall than I Am Butterfly, that song seems to have taken a life of its own. Yes. Yes, it sure does. I'm, I'm very grateful for the fans for keeping it alive and and it uh, being yeah. played all this time. It's uh, it's it's amazing, really, because it's kind of uh, after after being a, a bit of a sleeper song for about forty years, everybody suddenly seems to have taken it up at once. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you it's know, almost it's a little bit like what happened to Journey with "Don't Stop Believing," isn't it? 
That's right. That's right. Well, you know, uh, it was uh, it's one of those songs that um, I guess a lot of people can relate to the message of it, and uh, you can also superimpose your own message over it. And uh, I've seen uh, blogs and I've seen all kinds of uh, Internet uh, sites that have people commenting on what the song is really about, and it's pretty hilarious when you see the full spectrum of what uh, yeah, the fans yeah. say that they hear in there. Yeah, but I guess that's really why it's um, it's been used on so many different TV shows and films and that because the the words seem to be applicable to so many different situations, so it can yeah. you know it can convey a lot of different moods because obviously like the the mood of Lost is a lot different to the mood of like Anchorman, <laughs> but it was yes. relevant to both. Absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you something that uh, a lot of people do not know, and that is when I wrote the lyrics to the song in the studio, uh, and the song was released, and uh, I believe at this point it was number three in the Billboard charts, uh, we got a call from the uh, U.S. Pentagon, from the military there, and they wanted to know how I knew, yeah, the Pentagon, how I knew about the secret spy ship called the USS Pueblo, and I had no idea what they were talking about. <clears throat> I didn't. I, I've never even heard of the Pueblo, then or now. And it turns out no. that there was a ship that sailed out of San Francisco Bay, exactly the way my lyrics portray it, and it had a close to 73, I think it was maybe 72 or something, but uh, uh, that ship went off to sea, and it was captured by a Korean destroyer and taken in to Korea. They actually captured it and took it hostage. And apparently, when you listen to my lyrics, that 73 men sailed out of the San Francisco Bay, and they sailed off to history, and a lot of other uh, sentences in there, and people uh, heard that, and they had no idea what I had just found out, that uh, it goes in parallel with the USS Pueblo. So if you ever do a Google search and you put Ride Captain Ride and put USS Pueblo right after it, you'll see an amazing story that uh, goes along with my lyrics. Right, yeah. I'll be doing that right after this show, actually. That sounds really interesting. I bet a lot of people don't, listening don't, to this will do that. Don't mistake coincidence for fate, which is a big lost, uh, a big lost quote. It's yeah, all about, yeah. in Lost, yeah, if you know absolutely. the storyline of Lost, it's all about coincidence and fate. And that kind of fits in with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, yeah. that, really. It's a, it's a little bit like the, the story of that guy who um, used to set the um, the Times crossword in the Second World War. And um, he got uh, he got paid a visit by the um, the British Secret Service, um, asking him why how he had managed to put all of the code words for the uh, upcoming... Uh, um, allied operation into the crossword that day. It was entirely um, coincidental, but uh, yeah. he was he was he was um, he was taken in question for spying for a long time. <laughs> it was complete coincidence. <laughs> it's it's true, and uh, you know they wanted to know how I knew about that secret spy mission, uh, you know, before it became public knowledge. And I said, man, I'm sorry. I have no idea what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, uh, it's great when I'm on the road sometimes and I'll run into some of the crew of the USS Pueblo that come to my concerts. And, you know, they're telling me, hey, man, we really love that you did that song for us and you told our story and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, oh, well, you know, it's for everybody, really. And, and uh one one real fascinating thing that happened was the head of uh, radio navigations for the ship, for the USS Pueblo, as they were being um, captured by the Koreans, uh, he uh, tried to wire or to radio transmit their location and mayday, mayday to back to their home base to let the, the uh, headquarters know that they were being captured, and he couldn't get through. And the reason he couldn't get through is because there was a severe storm out at sea where they were at, 
and it was blocking the radio transmission from getting to uh, where he was trying to send it to. And so he says, that's why you wrote that line, uh, no one heard them calling, no one came at all, because they were too busy watching those raindrops fall. And I, I said, really, is that why I wrote that? <laughs> that was the first time <laughs> I had ever heard that theory. But, uh, yeah, this was the guy who was trying to send the message out that they were being captured and couldn't get it out because of the raindrops falling. I was really more into the headspace of, uh, it was more about uh, B.J. Thomas, raindrops keep falling on my head, (laughs) you know, kind of metaphorical. But you just never know know, where the inspiration comes from and where it goes to. So, you know, well, if, well if, if you actually really aspire, then your secret's safe with us, don't worry. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, when um, moving on to when you uh, when, when you, you joined Iron Butterfly, which is where kind of most people know your name from still probably, um, of course it was, um, it was the Metamorphosis album that you joined for, wasn't it? Yes. Which came yes. after the big one, which was in the Gada de Vida. Yes. That's right. Uh, the band was already uh, headlining uh, arenas and stadiums and touring with uh, groups like The Doors and Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and others. And uh, yeah. I came in to the band, that was 1970, and we recorded Metamorphosis with Panera and Rhino. And that came mm-hmm. out and it uh, it got a lot of critical acclaim. A lot of people really liked it. Uh, but yeah. it did not really have, it, it wasn't an airplay, radio-friendly kind of album. You know, I, I wrote, I'd say, 80% of it. And the stuff I was writing was just what I was feeling. I wasn't really targeting trying to get commercial radio airplay. And for instance, one song that I wrote on there called Butterfly Blue is about oh, yeah, the long minutes one, yeah. long. Yeah, that's yeah. a long one. And... Uh, you know, it's got a lot of movements in it and very much like that time period, you know, where, you know, you go a mini rock symphony, hopefully, you know, where you hear three or four different movements in the song. And again, <clears throat> a lot of people don't know that those lyrics are actually uh, represented within the album cover. When you see Metamorphosis with Panera and Rhino on Atlantic Records and you open the album cover up to the inside, you'll see different members of the band being portrayed in different scenes. And that, that mm. was my concept. I came up with that concept of saying, let's have a, uh, a picture or a portrait for every song title and have it you know, be relevant to it. So on Butterfly Blue, it turns out that the lyrics overall are the meaning of somebody who is lost, uh, no pun intended, out in the jungle somewhere or, you know, in some uh, uh, unknown place, and he's trying to get out. He's trying to find his way out, and he just doesn't know which way to go. And then this butterfly appears and starts flying around him and kind of like, you know, playing with him and starts to lead him to the trail that will lead him out of that garden that he's in. So there's, you know, a lot of uh, reflection there about Garden of Eden, which was what Inagata de Vida was about. Yeah. And, um, and you know, uh, you know that, that, I mean, for fans that like trivia and like to hear about how certain songs were written and all, I was just sitting there alone in Paris. We were on tour. And uh, I said, you know, it's about time that the butterfly has a blues, you know, because really we all loved blues music and the band. But to that point, there had only been like psychedelic stuff and kind of, uh, you know, gothic kind of music. So Butterfly Blue was really supposed to be Butterfly Blues. And after I finished the song, I was sitting there in the hotel room. There was a a bottle of uh, blue cheese dressing, you know. And uh, I was just inspired by the way that blue is spelled B-L-E-U on that. So I said, no, no, that's what yeah. I said. I'll call it Butterfly Blue. And uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what stayed. But uh, the, by the end, by the last verse, you know, you hear the explanation that um, she never was leaving me. She was guiding me by my efforts to reach her, leading me to be free. And so we're talking about doing, um, 
since that is now on my new album, <clears throat> on Next Voyage, with a complete horn section, a very orchestral type of sound, still funky and still, you know, psychedelic, retro, whatever you want to call it, uh, we're going to, we're talking about doing a video, because there's never been a video to Butterfly Blue, or to Ride Captain mm-hmm. Ride, for that matter. And uh, my wife and I were watching some scenes last night about uh, some ships. It's from the upcoming Peter Pan movie, <laughs> which they're calling yeah. Pan. And, man, there are some wild ships that, you know, are flying and, and uh, you know, not just sailing on the sea, but it's very, um, you know, very universal theme just from the trailer we saw. And I said, that's, that's the kind of ship we need where it's, it's sailing and then it starts to take off. That's the mystery ship. That's what, That was the mystery about it. It wasn't really a sailing ship. It was uh, more, much more than that. So, you know, we learn as we go by, and uh, I'm just very fortunate that music has been so good to me. And I, after uh, Metamorphosis came out, we went on tour, and our opening band was Led Zeppelin. And Crikey. it was great. Yeah, when these kids nowadays that really, you know, worship Led Zeppelin, they find out that Led Zeppelin used to warm up for us, <laughs> used to uh, be the opening act, they they just get, you know, beside themselves. But it was great for me because I had met Jimmy Page in 1966 when he was with the Yardbird, and we played a gig together, and we became friends then. And I didn't see him again until 1970, and now we're on tour together. He's got Led Zeppelin, and I'm in Iron Butterfly. So we renewed our friendship there, and it's still going to this day. We're still pretty close friends. Yeah, it's it's crazy. A lot of people forget now just how big Iron Butterfly were back then. Not so much in the UK, but certainly in the US. Um, but yeah. it's it's they've almost been sort of um, airbrushed out of history a little bit, you know. But they were a really really big band at the time. Yes, you know a lot of a lot of that too, Steve. Was um, some of the things that people missed. You know, I wish I had video of it because uh, there were some very strong moments, some very powerful moments during the '70 and '71 tour with Zeppelin that uh, I'll never forget. That's for sure. And one of them was when we played London and we played uh, the Royal Albert Hall, which, yeah. by the way. I, I mean, I love the U.K., just totally love it. I love the music scene. I love the attitude and consciousness of, of people. And we had a great, great time that night there at the uh, Albert Hall. Keith Moon came out, God rest his soul, to see us play. And Ringo was there, Ringo Starr. He went up to our drummer, Ron Bushy, and said, I guess you know that I copped a little bit of your drum solo on our song that uh, we have in the Beatles album. Golden slumber still your hands. He says, oh, yeah, I know you did. I didn't know if you did that on purpose or what. He says, oh, yeah, man, I, I loved your drum solo, so I, I copped a little bit of it. And he says, well, then you're going to have to take me to dinner, Ringo. And so there were some really good moments uh, during that time period. And so we, um, Bonzo, as we called John Bonham, uh, came up to me and said, you want to go out and jam after the show? I said, yeah, absolutely. So he took me to some place, I think it was called the Speakeasy. It was a pub. Yeah. We walked down down into a basement there. And so John Bonham and I went to jam, and uh, there was a band playing. And so John says to the leader of the band, he says, uh, look, that's my, my, my mate there. You know, that's Mike Panera from Iron Butterfly, and you know who I am. How about letting us play a song or two with you? And the guy said, no way, man. This is our moment. This is our time. We're not letting anybody up here. So the club owner came to him and said, either you let the two of them jam uh, with you guys or you're out of here. You might, you might as well start packing up your gear. So uh, that put the pressure on him. So the guitar player handed me his guitar, and I, I said, hey, I'm sorry about this, man. I, I really don't care if we jam or not. But... Uh, Bonzo jumped out, leaped over the drums there. Now he's on the drums. And we went into a, oh, it was cosmic is the only way I could describe it. We used their bass player, and that's it. And then Bonham and I, and we went into like a half hour of nonstop stream of consciousness flow that went from blues to jazz to fusion to 
you know, genres of music that hadn't been invented. And it was a great, great jam, and the people were just going wild. And the guitar player, who was the leader of the band, he freaked out. He saw, you know, how, how well it was going. So he jumps on stage and says, okay, hand me my guitar, and we're in the middle of, of playing music. And I said, well, do you mind if I, you know, finish this, this piece of music we're doing here? G- give me five minutes to end it properly. He says, no, I want the guitar now. So he grabs the guitar, which is still strapped around my neck, pulls on it and pulls on it to try to get it off me, and the strap broke, and he fell off the stage backwards into the first round of tables there, and drinks were spilling and food was going everywhere, and this guy was very embarrassed and very humiliated to be there on his back. And so... uh, that that ignited his temper, so he came at me, you know, with with fists flailing, and I tell you, bon, Bonzo got <laughs> he leaped over the drums because now the other guys in the band were coming. It was a free for all, like a, a John Wayne Western or something, and uh, and John Bonham gave a guy a really good punch right in the in the chest and knocked him across the stage, and so now it's an all out freakout, you know. Their band is, is, is fighting with, with Bonzo and I and Led Zeppelin's road manager, Richard Cole, very nice man. He jumps into it, and um, I just walked out. You know, I said, man, this is, this is not what I'm, I'm playing music for. So as I was leaving, I could see chairs flying out the window and people screaming, and, <laughs> and I felt really bad that, that I was part of the reason for that. Yeah, I'll never forget that. You know, that, in fact, uh, John Bonham wasn't alive that much longer after that. Uh, and it's considered one of you know one of the last jams that he ever did outside of the band. Mm, yeah, well, I mean going back to the um, yeah the, the the Metamorphosis thing um, album. Um, yeah. you, you say that that it it what didn't really uh, sell that well, but maybe not in comparison to Inagada da Vida, which obviously was massive. But uh, the track uh, Easy Rider, Let the Wind Pay the Way. That was actually yeah. um, a minor hit, wasn't it, in the States? That was a reasonably yes. well-known song. Yes, it was. It was. Oh. Uh, that that one in Stone Believer became, quote-unquote, yes. hit singles, you know, meaning they entered the yeah. top 40 or top 20 or whatever. But, I, you know, when I wrote Easy Rider, it wasn't supposed to be about the movie Easy Rider, although the movie was right. out at that time. It was more about letting the wind pay the way, you know, just the freedom of a soul, you know, who rides around in his motorcycle, and uh, that's the way he gets off. That's that's his, his way of life. And it really has a few lines in there that are pretty deep, you know, pegs of people lying the street uh, waiting for their weekend treat. And it's all about how some people just live, they just get by during the week doing what they think they've got to do to survive and earn a living, and then when the weekend comes, oh boy, that's a real them then. And so the song really reaches out to say, hey man, you should feel free and feel good all the time, not just on the weekend. So yeah, yeah. That, that took hold, and people liked it a lot. It was a, a big guitar sound, and a big guitar song. Yeah. And um, the, the album actually now has sold quite well. It's gone gold, you know, now. Yeah. But when it was released, it was just kind of, just kind of you know, fledging along there. It didn't really uh, have uh, the distinction that yeah. Inagata de Villa is the first platinum award ever given a rock group. That was the first time a platinum yeah. record was issued by the music industry. Because uh, it was selling so big, and it stayed on the charts for over a year, which normally you stay on the charts for two weeks, that the record industry said, we have to come up with a new award. Gold is not enough. So they said, well, let's call it Platinum then. So that was the first Platinum record ever issued. Well, I mean, uh, a, a lot of people, like me included, uh, rate Metamorphosis as one of the their favorite Iron Butterfly albums. In fact, I would say that overall, it's uh, it, it's a more consistent album than uh, In a Gather Vida. But it, just, it was just that one lengthy song in, in a Gala de Vida that really just like captured everybody's imagination didn't it and it dragged the, along, yeah. the album along with it which uh, yeah well, but thanks, it, uh, I, I mean in, in a way that's overshadowed the rest of the band's output which 
is a bit unfair because there, there's so many really great songs. I mean, one of my favourite Iron Butterfly songs, well before your time off the first album, I think, was uh, the Iron Butterfly theme instrumental. Oh yeah, I think that's a that's a marvellous track. I don't, I don't know if you yeah, used to play that, that live was, at that uh, time. Danny, yeah, that was Danny Weiss on guitar, and um, it was a different configuration. Doug Engel was there, and Ron Bushy was there. Yeah. But Lee Dorman, the bass player, had yet to join the band, and that—that's real psychedelic. There, I mean, you know, that's yeah. If there ever was a, a genre called psychedelic, it's definitely the Iron Butterfly theme. And uh, if you close your eyes, you can actually hear the butterfly, you know, just kind of flying all over the place with the guitar uh, technique that's being used there. And so I'm glad you like yeah. that. I, I like it too, and I listen to it now, and I hear a lot of psychedelic music coming out of the UK and out of Europe in general. And, man, it just it sounds like we used to sound like, you know. It's, it's really great. Absolutely, song. yeah. There's, there's, there's so much of that retro sound now. There's so many bands coming out, even like younger bands, that are taking that sort of sound and, and, and running with it for the, the present day. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's really good to see. Um, there's a band from Iceland called The Vintage Caravan who are fantastic, and they, they do a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, there's a couple of UK bands as well, a band called Person, they do a lot of that sort of stuff. It, it's, it's becoming quite popular now. And I think it's great oh. because it's not just it's not just a slavish imitation of that kind of thing. It's taking that sort of that big, fat, full sound and the, the sort of the spirit of that sound and, and make it into something new, which I think is, is, is brilliant. Well, thank you. And, and I really appreciate you saying that, uh, you know, how much you like the Metamorphosis album because, uh, you know, we... We feel the same way. We we like it a lot. We don't compare it to anything else, but it's really uh, it's musically very uh, uh, rich with a lot of different styles that we try to combine without breaking the continuity. So it's not like listening yeah. to uh, the Monkees and then the next song is Hendrix. It, yeah, it, it's yeah, that's right. It's a bit like that. Hmm. I did a lot of jamming with Jimi Hendrix during that period, by the way. In the 70s, uh, Jimi used to come see us play in Hollywood. Well, I was still with Blue's Image then, and um, Mm. we would all go over to his house after the show, and Jim Morrison would be there, and Keith Moon, and uh, a lot of different people. And we'd jam at at, at Jimmy's after the jam that we had uh, on Sunset Strip. And so he and I became pretty good friends, and... uh, he did an interview back then with uh, Melody Maker of London with Chris Welch, uh, the writer. I'll never forget it. And he said, you know, Blues Image is one of my favorite bands, and I really look forward to getting home after a tour and going down to where they're playing and uh, jamming with them. So that was very nice. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's probably true to say that uh, after uh, after you left um, after that album, the band kind of lost the way a bit after that, and things were never the same. Like they, they did Sun and Steel and Scorching Beauty after that, which they were they were a bit weak, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Especially after right after Metamorphosis, because uh, we worked really hard on Metamorphosis. We would uh, rehearse every day, and I would do my songwriting. Uh, in my um, motorhome, I had an RV, and I would go to each guy's house and park in their uh, driveway for uh, several days at a time so that we could all feel like we were writing it together. But, uh, you know, it really takes a lot of discipline to write a song or continue writing pieces of the song every night. Uh, you have to give up a lot of stuff, like going going down to Hollywood and hanging out on the strip and going to the Whiskey A Go-Go and all that. And, and so we, um, we, we, we took our time with that. And by the time we got in the studio, I already had the tracks in the demo form on my uh, four-track T-Hack recorder. And, uh, you know, I had a drum machine playing the drums, and then the, I would play the bass and the guitar parts and then sing it. So I would show it to the band, and it was pretty much sounding like a finished piece and everybody would vote on what they wanted uh, to to record and everything like that. So we um, mm. 
we had that sound, the sound of a, of a band that's really a band, not just a recording project or, uh, you know, a bunch of guys that got together and said, well, why don't we sound like this because this is really in right now. And, of course, that's a waste of time because by the time you record what you think is the happening music of that month, the flavor of the month, the music industry has gone on to something else. <laughs> so managers yeah. will walk in and go, hey, these guys sound just like uh, blah, 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 so we think you should sign them. And, uh, you know, then the record label would say, well, we don't want that, that, that we already have that. And that happened with yeah. Lee Dorman, the bass player, and I. We uh, discovered a band called Black Oak, Arkansas. And, yeah. um, and so we found them playing somewhere and said, you know, you want to record with us? And we uh, took them into rehearsals for a long time, and then we recorded the album. And so it got signed to Atlantic and became a very big, big album. But I had to keep staring them away from trying to sound like the Stones or like somebody, you know, like the people that they really admired. I tried to give them their own sound, which they definitely do have. If you listen to that first Black Oak Arkansas album, it's pretty unique. Mm -hmm. So that was yeah. The, yeah, that was one of the uh, challenges of that era was to try to come up with a sound and a style that couldn't be, you know, uh, measured to any other other band that sounded like that. Sort of like when Zeppelin came out. They were playing blues yeah. and stuff, but the way they did it and the, and the, the arrangements that Jimmy Page would put where it would go right from a slow 2-4 two, two, uh, blues beat and then all of a sudden go into, like, double double time, you know. And, man, that yeah. was just so exciting. There are a few bands of that time period that uh, I really admire, still do, and, and I'm still friends with them. And um, But, you know, a lot of the bands that were around then, a lot of the musicians kind of slacked off because the whole secret of being that original and spontaneous was not to have too many obligations and responsibilities in your head. And, you know, you're just free. You know, you wake up, you start writing, and then you go to sleep that night, and you know, and then write some more the next day. But a lot of those guys that wrote some brilliant songs, nowadays they have so many, oh, you know, a mortgage on their house or they've got companies that yeah. they formed with uh, business people and they're looking after their companies and there's uh, college alimony payments, all this stuff, and they don't really have that focus like they had back then. No. And plus there's a certain love to it that you have to really have uh, for it to be something special. And so I'll go, you Absolutely. know, we'll be on tour with some of the bands of that period, and then they'll say, hey, let us play something new for you. And then when they play it, sometimes it's a bit disappointing. You know, it sounds like anything else that you might hear. But uh, there sure were some great songs back then, huh, Steve? There certainly were. There certainly were. It's 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 funny we were just talking on the uh, when we were on the call yesterday when you know the the one where we'll, you didn't make it on for it and we were kind of talking about Iron Butterfly a bit and Rob was saying that he's actually never really got around to listening to <laughs> Iron Butterfly but and the the thing the reason for it is he read a, a Wikipedia entry and was put off by it because it described him as heavy metal. Now nothing could uh -huh. be further from the truth, could it? You know that's right. It's it's that's right. Yeah, it's like it's. It's um, psychedelic proto-prog rock, really, you know, I think. So I think he's going to go off and discover some Iron Butterfly now, having been, uh, having been misled by that. Yeah, the thing with Heavy Metal, as I was saying last night, the thing with Heavy Metal on me, I'm always waiting for that prog flourish. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that prog rock flourish, and it never happens with Heavy Metal. Yeah. And I'm just continually waiting for it and, it, and, and it, and it never occurs. So that kind of puts me off metal. I think, yeah. I think yeah, that's the, what... Uh, what um, misleads people a little bit who haven't heard the band is the fact that the first album was called Heavy um, and also the, the iron in the Iron Butterfly kind of gives people maybe the impression that it's going to be you know like a, a, a blue cheer was at the time that kind of thing but really it's not yeah, at people all. People think of Iron Maiden don't they when you say Iron Butterfly people automatically think Iron Maiden. People who don't know them yeah but no you would uh, well, you would love Iron Butterfly Rob. Yeah, the song you mentioned, Steve, uh, the Iron Butterfly theme, uh, yeah. can certainly be termed as heavy rock, although you're more correct in saying prog rock. Uh, yeah. You know, but, but if you listen to Yes or Genesis and you say, well, that's prog rock, 
there, you know. And when you hear yeah. Iron Butterfly theme, you go, wait a minute, that's very uh, spooky, dark, uh, heavy metal, you know, with those guitars, you know, going, uh, uh, yeah, it sounds that yeah, the fan was making. And, and, you know, Doug heavy, Engel... Heavy psychedelic really, rock, really. That's yeah. really it. That's really it. And the whole yeah. concept of calling the band Iron Butterfly was because the music that was being written for the band was such classical, uh, with Doug playing these classical uh, scales and stuff, and uh, a bit gothic. And uh, and then that was the iron part. That was the uh, the butterfly part, the light, classical, uh, whimsical kind of sound. But then the heavy stuff would come in, like Unconscious Power. Rob, you should listen to that off the first album, the heavy album. Between Iron Butterfly theme and Unconscious Power, you'll hear some um, some heavy... I wouldn't call it metal, because uh, that, that that reminds me of, uh, like what you said, people like Blue Cheer and stuff like that that were going out of their way to use a lot of fuzz tone and stuff, whereas this this was yeah. not heavy metal. But then uh, Steppenwolf came up and said, well, we were the first band to use the term heavy metal. You know, on uh, Born to be Wild, there's a line that says heavy right. metal thunder. But... Uh, but the Butterfly was really the first band to incorporate the, the word heavy to yeah. uh, be the title of the album. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, another thing that we didn't mention when, when you were talking about the Butterfly Blue piece is that, um, whether it's a good thing or not, but it was it was one of the first instances of using the talk box, wasn't it? Yes. I was the co-inventor the of the talk box. Yeah. I'm not when, sure whether the talk we, box is really a good thing, but it was one of the first to do it. Yeah, yeah, it was. We were in the studio recording when this uh, young man came in and said, "I've got an invention here. I'd like you to try." And it was a bag. It, it was. Uh, it looked like a wine wine bag, you know, big inflated. And he hung it around his shoulder, and then he plugged the guitar into it, and he started moving his lips as he played the notes, and it really sounded like it was talking. And so. Um, yeah. Uh, he says, he says, here, Mike, I'd like to give this to you as a gift, and if you can recommend anything that I can do to make it sound better, please do. And I worked with it on the album. It's it's pretty much featured on Butterfly Blue. And I, yeah. I found some some things that I thought could enhance the sound. And so uh, he worked on that and added my contributions to it. And so, you know, he said, hey, as far as I'm concerned, you're the co-inventor. And then uh, a big electronics firm musical instrument company called Custom Custom Electronics. They had big amplifiers and, and stuff like that. They came in and bought the rights to it. So what was originally called the Magic Bag became the Guitar Talk Box. Yeah. You know, and then the obviously a few was, years later, Peter Frampton and yeah. Joe Walsh used it and that became massive, but people don't realize that you actually pioneered that. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. another cool story, really. Well, you know, a, a really funny story with Jeff Beck walked in on one of my rehearsals uh, with Carmine Apiece. We were trying to spruce Cactus up from just being a boogie band to being a, you know, a serious band. And Jeff Beck walked in and said to Carmine Apiece and to Tim Bogert, the bass player, hey, man, I, I want you guys to do a band with me. We're going to call it Beck, Bogart, and Apathy, BBA, which they yeah. did form the band, and they, they did some recording. But during that rehearsal, he saw my magic bag and said, what does that do, Mike? And I said, oh, watch. And I started, you know, talking and making it uh, come through with some phrases and stuff. He says, oh, that is, could I just borrow that for a couple of weeks? I really would love to try that at home. And I said, sure, Jeff, but make sure you bring it back in a couple of weeks because we're going on tour, and I, I, it's the only one I have. And so uh, I never got it back. <laughs> uh, he, uh, you know, I, I ran into him and I said, Jeff, where's my, where's my magic bag? Where's my talk box? And he says, oh, Mike, I, I did so many improvements to it. I, I, I've done, you know, I've, I've added so much to it. I couldn't possibly give it back now with everything that I've added to it. And I said, okay, all right, no problem. You go ahead and take it. And uh, then after Jeff had it, then Peter Frampton and, you know, the others that you mentioned uh, came through with it. And uh, a lot of people don't know that the the actual first use was on the Metamorphosis album on Butterfly Blue. Yep. 
And um, also, another thing that people might not realise about you is that you were uh, Alice Cooper's guitarist for a couple of years in the early 80s. That's right, yeah. 1980 through 82, uh, I I played uh, lead guitar with Alice, and we did uh, two albums, and we did two world tours. Special Force is one of them. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Alice called the band Special Forces. Yeah, there's well, some heavy I think, stuff. In- I think I, prob- I probably saw you on stage on that time because uh, I saw Alice Cooper at the Hammersmith Odeon on the Special Forces tour. And I yeah. think you were probably in the band at the time. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah, that would be 82, I-, I think. Yeah. Yeah, the Hammersmith Odeon, I remember it quite well. And uh, yep. we had... Uh, we had uh, Combat fatigues on, right? You know, like the that's kind right. Of yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, throwing yeah, daggers into the stage, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. in the front row yeah, for that. Al- oh well, hey, Alice had some some wild ideas when we uh, when we were cutting uh, a one hour TV show in, in France uh, for the uh, album, using the songs from the album. They they let Alice and the band pretty much uh, direct and create the show itself. And so Alice would come up with different locations and, and ideas and concepts for these songs. And a lot of it was really wild. You could, you could st- it's for sale on, on the web. It's called Alice Cooper in Paris. Alice in Paris with Special Forces. Band. Right. And there's some, there's some pre-recordings too, of course, uh, some pre-videos of us doing the album and the videos. But uh, Alice would come up with things like... Uh, abandoned subway stations, underground subway stations that look like something from Mad Max. And um, But the the funniest one I think he came up with was we went to Notre Dame and we set up on the steps of the cathedral. And uh, it was a full moon and the smoke machines came on and on the strobe lights and all this. And we're there in our combat fatigues, you know, playing a song from one of Alice's albums called You Can Go to Hell. And, yep. you know, when Alice told me he was going to do that, I said, oh, man, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. You know, he, to stand in front of Notre Dame and, and sing, you can go to hell. He says, oh, no, that's not half of it. The other half of it is I want the band to dress up as nuns, put on nuns outfits. And we'll put extra black under the eyes, like, you know, some zombie nuns or something. And then we'll go and stand in front of the full moon and do um, uh, you can go to hell. And his reasoning was, if you really listen to the lyrics, he's actually giving out a warning, saying, you know, if you're bad, if you're yeah, brat, absolutely. and violence on the stage and all that stuff, you can go to hell. So the priest let it go by, and that was one of the weirdest music videos I've ever been in. But we had a lot of fun. <laughs> Sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, Do you I remember think it's, it's, how... It's, it's, hmm? Sorry. Yeah. Go on. I'm wondering if you or Rob, do you remember a drummer by the name of Mitch Mitchell? Oh, yeah, yeah, from, uh, yeah, Hendrix's drummer, yeah. Yeah, okay, because uh, Mitch and I had a band, little-known band, called Ramatam, which came out after I left the Butterfly, and uh, Mitch yeah. and I, uh, you know, put together uh, the songs and most of them and, and the arrangements and stuff. We had a big house in New York, up uh, Long Island, big estate, and... Uh, my wife, uh, Valerie, who at that time was my fiance, she came up and, and lived with me. And then Mitch had his wife there and his daughter. So the, four, the five of us in this gigantic mansion that had a ballroom in it with a stage. And so we, uh, we worked it up and, and, uh, and came up with some wild songs and did this album called Ramatam. And uh, Mitch had found this young lady who was playing guitar. Her name was April, April Lawton. And she played very much like Hendrix and also some jazz overtones. But uh, if you get a chance, you know, take take a listen to Ramatam album with Mitch and I. And oh, well, really? yeah, that's... Hmm. It's pretty far out. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one that I've never caught up with. I will, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look for that. Cool. Well, well, I, I think it's, 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 it's really great now that with the, the new stuff you're putting out, I mean, after quite a, a while in the wilderness, really, you... It seems that you're coming back and trying to um, you sort of uh, get your name out there again a bit more, which is which is a cool thing. Yeah, it, you know, it's really uh, uh, kind of funny because 
what happened in 1988, after I had left Alice's band, I'd been out of Alice's band for a few years, and I was working on a solo album, which I did complete, and it's called In the Garden of Eden, and it was a spoof saying this is what, what, uh, <clears throat> what was trying to be said when uh, our keyboard player, Doug Engel, yeah. wrote In a God of Davida. Yeah, he was trying to say In the Garden yeah. of Eden, so this, this album is sort of a spoof on that. And I was working on my solo career then, and uh, what happened was I formed a band called the Classic Rock All-Stars, and that band went on for 20 years, uh, from 1992 uh, to 2012. And um, let's see, uh, Pete Rivera, uh, the lead singer and drummer from Rare Earth, uh, yeah. and Jerry Corbetta from Sugarloaf, uh, Green-Eyed Lady and all that stuff, and a uh, real, really great bass player from Cannibal and the Headhunters and myself. And we would go on stage together and play each other's well-known hit songs all in one set yeah and that really that took off here in the states it didn't we didn't get to europe much but uh here we did a lot of fairs and festivals as the classic rock all-stars so i got a little complacent because we're playing the huge stadiums and you know we're being treated Mm -hmm. royally and i just said hey it's just like the old days here so i didn't really push too hard to get any new product out and then uh the band the band uh uh broke up in uh, 2012 and I I realized where I was I said god I haven't done a new album since Garden of Eden I better get busy here so uh, there's a few uh, pieces Uh, one is called Mike Panera Forever it's a solo album and another one called Mike Panera Isla I-S-L-A that came out yeah they were late 70s weren't they yeah Yeah. I remember those yeah that was the 70s and so I I stopped right after that and you know did the Garden of Eden and Started uh, producing the concerts myself because uh, I didn't, you know, like the way uh, a lot of these concerts were being produced. So it got me busy, and I felt like I was really accomplishing a lot. But as far as being a relevant recording artist, uh, I lost track of that. So this album, yeah, Next so Voyage, yeah, yeah, important Next Voyage to get you back to that, yeah. up that left off. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's hope it's uh, it's successful by the sound of what you've done so far. It certainly seems to be so. Um, like I like I said to you in that email, I mean, I'm I'm very involved with the, the Classic Rock Society over here in the UK, which you know, and that's exactly what we do: try and publicise and get a new audience for that for that sort of music. You know, this classic rock in all its forms, really. And that's it. We'd we'd you know we'd love to get behind that and, and support it, and we'll uh, I'll I'll certainly get a review of that in the mag, and we can maybe yeah, set up an interview feature with you. That'd be good. Oh well, thank you. Really appreciate so that. We'll, uh, we'll we'll see about that. Yeah. So I you're think the, we can you're probably. The, uh, yeah. Are you the features yeah. editor on that? Is that your position? I'm the features editor in the magazine. Yeah. So yeah, That's we've got a couple great. of writers who are based in the states, so one of them could cover a piece with you. Oh, that is so, great. Well, in that case, yeah. we might be able to come over and do some touring again. You know. Uh, and play the new album and play some of the stuff from all the different bands I was in. And uh, yeah, well, if you, you know, we we, we promote gigs as well, so you know, yeah. and, uh, we have a few small smaller venues that we use. So maybe you know we could do something with that if you do get over. That would be so, great. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, I think um, Michelle wants to kind of wrap this up by playing uh, Ride Captain Ride again for. Oh, yeah, uh, by the way, I so basically anybody that's listening will be able to. Hear all those lyrics. Great. Mike was saying about the uh, the RV the motor home earlier on. Sorry, what was Did that? You me? Yeah, I was I was just a bit a bit of that because uh, Mike was talking about the motor home earlier on the RV story. Oh yeah. Which made me yeah, think. I don't know right. if you know the uh, I don't know if you know Breaking Bad, Mike. Uh, the TV series Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And, yeah, well, he's got all the uh, motor home in that, and he was just making me think if uh, if Walter White, the character in that, had, uh, had probably gone aside and wanted to make a bit of mu- music, he would have probably called the album Metamorphosis. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you... I think my humor's a bit warped for you, probably. Yeah. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there was, there's a movie out starring Will Ferrell called Anchorman, 
And, yep. you know, it's a movie about a television news anchorman. And uh, in that movie, there's several subplots, like some gangsters steal his dog and throw him over the bridge because they're jealous of Will Ferrell being the number one anchor. And then his sweetheart leaves him. And uh, just a lot of different subplots that have a lot of, uh, of uh, irony to it. Well, at the very end of the, the movie, in the last scene, they play Ride, Captain Ride, and as they're playing the song, all the problems and all the, uh, uh, you know, low points of, of, of the story all come together and they're all resolved by the time you hear Ride, Captain Ride finish. So I thought that that was the most beautiful use of the song I've heard from the different movies and, and TV shows and whatnot was that, Ride Captain Ride resolved all the issues. The guy's dog comes back to him, you know, all wet, you know, didn't die. The girlfriend comes back to him. He's still the number one anchor on TV. And if you get a chance, I recommend that movie very highly. Will Ferrell in Anchorman. Yeah, it's absolutely yes, great. Yes, I've film. seen that movie. Yeah, it's a good movie and it takes place in San Diego, where I'm at. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of great songs in that to the point that Will Ferrell published an album of the, of the songs from the movie, and he gives a little uh, intro to each song. He talks a little bit, and so he talked about Blue's Image and, and about Ride Captain and what, to him, what Ride Captain Ride is all about. And uh, it's funny, it's really funny to hear that album, Will, the uh, songs from uh, Anchorman. But, uh, oh, wow. it, you know, it's wonderful, me. It's really great to... <laughs> I'm so glad that you all are so into music. You know, you're definitely serious, and that's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Music is great. I'll have to you, Michelle, to wrap things up now, I think. Okay, great. Okay. Well, thank you again, Mike Panera, for joining us, and thank you, Rob, again, for being the producer and organizer, and Steve, for your great skills and knowledge, and thanks so much for everybody for listening. We're going to... Um, play this out by uh, yeah, playing live. We want to we want to do a bit of a close after this after the song. So okay. if we can hang on with Steve, me, and uh, Michelle. Then. Okay. So I guess I guess we'll play uh, Mike out with uh, playing Ride Captain Ride, and uh, then we'll close up for a few minutes right after we play the song. Thank you Great. again, Mike, well, for being i
tape. That was well worth. That was well worth the wait. That was superb, wasn't it? Really interesting. That. He's got some, he's got some the great stories. People he was involved with, I had no idea. I mean, I put legend, yeah. I put legendary on my. Uh, I put legendary on my. Excuse the voice. I was. I, I, you actually put. Actually, no, I was going to start myself up in the hour before, and then I realised it was six o'clock. So my head is totally. That's not okay. That's okay. Uh, we yeah. all got in on the right time. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm, you're going I'm, to be I'm, in, some... I'm on the inbox, Brad and Michelle. I'm saying, oh, tell him to come back in an hour. And she's at six o'clock. Oh my <laughs> god. Yeah, well, I'm sure you're going she to be chasing up some one. iron butterfly now, Rob, aren't you? Uh, I'll give it a listen. I always do give these things a listen. I'll give it a listen, and and I think I was totally lost in that show. Don't know if you got it. You did what? Uh, no, I went over my head a bit. No, it was. Uh, if you watch Breaking Bad, if you watch Breaking Bad, I've never watched it. You see. Well, there's a bit. There's a motor home involved, and uh, all the that is parts have been drive in the driveway, and it just made me think if Walter White the 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 main character in that, the main protagonist in that, it would uh, go off and make a make an album with Jesse. They would call it Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Right. I didn't hear you say the Metamorphosis. Okay. I thought you said Metamorphosis. I think that's, that's what you heard too. Yeah, I did as well. So, you know, I didn't come <laughs> over. But. That's cute. Anyway, no, was, um, that was great because I mean. Uh, um, Mike was coming out with stuff all the time that I didn't know about, so it gave me a lot to to work with and talk about with him. It's uh, well, uh, really people good. Work with I had I didn't have a clue. Incredible. Yeah. Alice, Alice, I was going to say Alice Cooper. She was like got him to to ask him if he'd do the Halloween special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I saw him at Hammersmith on that that Alice Cooper tour in eight, 1982. Uh, I'd forgotten news without yeah. Alice Cooper. It just suddenly came to my mind, and it was those years. So I thought, oh, crikey, that was Mike up there. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. I'll tell, yep. tell you what the most scary proposition about the Halloween special for me is you not hosting on it. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. I think, it'll be I fine. think we've, got, we've got Dennis Cave for the... I phoned him last night, and he said he'll do it for the Christie. In fact, he, could said, he said he could get Lee, what's his name, from the Nice. So we could possibly have two Nice members. And we could have Greg Lake. Sounds, sounds, it's, it's, it's sounds like he was saying, like he was saying yeah. at the moment. I don't think Greg will be up for doing anything at the moment. He's probably getting inundated with stuff. But yeah. if you think about it, it's the best time. It's, it's best time to do it. It'll be a more reflective. And he did, didn't keep doing Christmas yeah. albums. Yeah. So um, album. uh, w- um, so what's this happening? Is um, has this gone out live today, or has this just recorded? Yes, it's going out live. Going out live, right? Well, probably best that um, you take this question yes. about what's going to happen in future ones Absolutely. offline. Absolutely, totally agree. Yeah. But uh, we'll talk more about this later, absolutely... Rob. Yeah, no, just making clear to anyone listening what we're going to do in the future and uh, yeah, what's what's coming. You know, we've got great things planned. Yes, I'll talk about it anyway. That's fine. Yeah, Pete, we didn't oh. have uh, Pete, we didn't have Crystal on. Pete, we didn't have Crystal on this one, right? Yeah, I know. Well, it it just and happened. That, you know, we all planned to be she here. Was, especially when we talk about the nun, she was absolutely coming on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I think that um, it was probably good that we got Mike on his own because he had so much to talk about. Uh, yeah, we would, wouldn't have had as much time yesterday. So I think it was good that we gave him a whole slot to himself. I Definitely. think it worked out really well. I'm so glad you guys were able to come back and we were able to reschedule with Mike so quickly and get this as a standalone podcast absolutely, on yeah. its own because it stands on its own, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's so great I want to catch he's saying, really when kept talking about this shit, I want to catch saying, I wanted to keep saying, not Penny's boat. <laughs> <laughs> but that's amazing about the history I, of the I, song. I've myself from saying it. It's, it's, yeah, really, so that's it's really, really interesting that, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it was it was like that story about the uh, the guy with the crossword. It was all coincidence. Yeah. Everything you're saying, it absolutely fit in with lost. I mean, he's talking about yeah, absolutely coincidence. He was talking about the storm. Isn't like we're around the island. Well, before you get to the island, isn't there a storm? Michelle. Um. Well, there's a storm when they're going from the island back to the freighter. Yeah, there isn't there, and, and, and it's kind of where the time, all the time, what kind of thing is is involved or something, and it's this storm that that they have to pass through to get back to 
get back to uh, proper life. To the freighter, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think we're going to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm on the phone here, so it's all costing me. <laughs> okay, well, thanks again. I'm sorry you, you had problems with the phone? Skype button, but he's calling on the radio phone. You on your normal phone, you say? Yes. <laughs> So yeah, anyway, I couldn't get on Skype. Um, you were on that thing you gave me. I thought you were on that eight, what, oh, eight one, whatever it is. Yeah, I am. So, it, so it, it, that's why it, it's not costing massive amounts, but so it, it, it costs, oh, wow, but it's, it's only, affordable. That's yeah. right. It's only about over a pound, isn't it? Let's face it. Yeah, that's right. So it's not it's not a massive amount. No, that's great. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks, guys, okay. for being here. Sorry that we missed Crystal. And uh, we're going to yeah. go ahead and end the show. Thanks so much, guys, for being here and uh, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye for now but please uh, okay. return to our yep. spot here on Blog Talk Radio and look for future episodes. Okay. Okay. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.